This is The Mudroom, on Common Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson, parenting effectiveness coach and child behavior strategist. Weekly nuggets of developmentally appropriate parenting wisdom to help you parent your toddlers and preschoolers more effectively with less effort. The Mudroom is recorded live on Facebook every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific. Now, here's Alana. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mudroom. This is our weekly free and live Uncommon Sense Parenting class. It is finally summer. I know several of you have been experiencing summer for a while now, (laughs) but it is just finally warming up here. We just got our pool open and we usually open it the first week of June. So it is about time. I am so excited. My oldest finishes school in two days. I can hardly believe it. I feel like he just started, but I am so excited to have him home all summer. I have missed the freedom. I don't like operating on other people's timetables, which, I mean, if I'm honest, that's kind of why I started on Common Sense Parenting, at least one of the reasons. I like doing things in my own time. So school has been much more stressful for me than it has been for Logan, I think. So I am really looking forward to two months of just doing our own thing. Before we get into it, though, I just want to say hi. I'm Alana Robinson, and I'm a parenting effectiveness coach. I help parents of toddlers and preschoolers understand why their children are misbehaving and how to fix it without yelling, shaming, or using timeouts. As I just mentioned, I'm the host of my Facebook group, The Parenting Posse. I am obviously your host here on The Mudroom, and I host the Parentability Program. Okay, enough chatter. Before we get into today's topic, I just want to preface it with this. I am very much still learning about all of this. Quite frankly, I think everybody is. So I'm going to try very hard to pick my words carefully because I know that this is a very touchy subject, but please give me some grace. I'm happy to be told I'm wrong and why from your perspective, but as always, just keep it respectful. The other thing is that I want to be clear that I am aware that I am very much simplifying a complicated issue to make my point. I am boiling it down to its nuts and bolts because otherwise there is no way that I could ever possibly pack it into a 20-minute show. I'm aware. I know that. So as I am sure that absolutely everybody is aware, like if you aren't, you really aren't paying attention, are you? There is a lot of social justice stuff going on in the world right now. And we, and by we, I mean mainly the millennial generation, we're coming up on midlife. We're taking over more and more governance in all areas. And in that process, we are trying to restore respect and equality on so many different levels. (laughs) And I think as millennial parents, we also need to be paying really close attention, not only to what we tell our children about these topics, not just like the intellectual knowledge and values that we are consciously imparting, but also the skills to actually put that knowledge and those values into practice. And for that reason, understanding how children learn and develop becomes really freaking important because, and you know, minor trigger warning, stick with me. All social justice issues can pretty much be boiled down to being rooted in one core process deficit 
I'm not really sure what to call it. (laughs) One thing that we're not particularly good at, and that's self-regulation. Here's why I think that is. The human brain has a mechanism built in that, again, very simplified, but basically what it does is it keeps us safe by warning us that anything unfamiliar is potentially dangerous. That is basically summing up the function of our amygdala, to scan our environment for potential danger and to put us on high alert to upregulate us when it senses it. That's how we're built to keep ourselves safe. That's also why we are racist, homophobic, ableist, misogynist, you know, and I know that there's more headlines, but for the sake of simplicity, we're just going to use those big four headings tonight because those things are different, right? Those people are different from us. They vary from what our society has deemed the quote unquote norm. So they are potentially dangerous. Now, The way that our parents' generation tried to combat our natural defense mechanism was to try and erase difference. We are all the same, right? If you grew up in and around, you know, 80s, 90s, even the early 2000s, and you didn't hear that chanted throughout your childhood, you must have been raised on Mars. That was the well-intentioned but misguided theory of the time, right? If we hammer into them that everybody is essentially the same underneath, then there's nothing to be scared of because we're all exactly the same. Problem solved! Except it wasn't. It isn't. If anything, it's kind of gotten a bit worse, hasn't it? Because what the we're all the same erasure didn't take into account is that ignoring differences doesn't actually eliminate them. They're still there. And they can still set off our defense alarms. The kind of unintended fallout of that, on one hand, has been that a lot of millennials got in the habit of ignoring their self-defense alarm when it was actually needed to keep themselves safe. And that is why, as a generation, we kind of feel like the world is much more dangerous today than it actually objectively is, because we can't really trust our risk assessment after decades of being told not to use it. We were not given the skills to actively self-regulate, to feel our alarm go off when we encounter something unfamiliar, but then, you know, to just take a pause, bring our blue brain back online, and evaluate whether what set that alarm off is actually a threat or if it's just, you know, different, new, and unknown. Because we were told that there is no threat, ever. We're all the same! Which means when our alarm does go off, we tend to jump straight into attack, self-preserve mode, right? Fight or flight. Now, the we're all same inside messaging didn't work as intended, but um, it wasn't a total flop. On the whole, I'd say the millennial generation is much more tolerant, than any generation previous, we do seem to recognize that that messaging didn't actually serve its purpose. And for the most part, we seem determined to teach our children differently. But that's why understanding self-regulation and how it develops is so important. Because we can agree with the theory, we can be on board with something, but when it actually comes to teaching our children how to deal with those differences our alarms are still going off because we don't actually know how to do it, right? We are still learning. 
and we're learning right alongside them. We didn't develop this habit as children. We are rewiring our brains while we're wiring theirs. And that's hard work. That's a lot of energy, right? So we tend to freeze up. We overcomplicate it. We get too granular when what it really all boils down to is being able to self-regulate, you know, to have that alarm go off, but rather than go off into attack mode or run away from it, we have the skills to, you know, pause, identify what set the alarm off, and then actually critically evaluate if that thing is a threat or if it's just new, if we just don't know enough about it. Because y'all think, (laughs) just close your eyes and think for a second about what a generation of self-regulated kids that grow up into self-regulated adults looks like, right? Self-regulated boys who grow up into self-regulated men can't be misogynists because they don't feel the need to tear women down in order to remain feeling safe. Self-regulated girls grow up into self-regulated women who aren't scared of men, aren't scared of speaking up and being heard and taking risks, who aren't scared of standing out. Self-regulated children don't grow up into bigoted, racist, ableist adults because people with different sexual orientation, race, or ability aren't threats anymore. They're just different. And they can judge actual danger based on actual danger cues. I know as millennial parents that it feels like these huge issues are so big because there's just so many, so much to talk about and we don't know it very well. And, you know, we're just doomed to fail at raising tolerant children. I know. But that's why this is an excellent place to start is understanding how your child actually takes an information alert to danger, how they learn, how they process that information and practicing the mental skills needed to stay calm. You know, as parents, we tend to go straight for the theory end of things. And as I said, that freaks us out. That's setting off all alar- our alarm because having a discussion with your preschooler about sexual orientation or race or basically anything different feels very difficult, especially given that we don't really have a roadmap for how to do that since it was never done for us. And while it's Great if you do feel that you have those tools already to have the theoretical conversations with your young kid. If you don't, I mean, even if you do, but if you don't, giving them the actual physical tools to use the theory once it is presented to them is a great big step in the right direction. Children learn to regulate by being regulated. And the result of this is children that can see differences and explore them without getting offended without being scared, and without going into fight or flight. Janelle says, I don't see color, so not the right thing to say, right? Like, it boggles my mind in a very bad way. Like, how wrong that theory was. (laughs) Just how, how against how we actually, like, the actual processes that we use to process information that that theory is. It just, as you can tell, it it kind of makes me speechless. (laughs) Good intention, horrible execution. Okay, so what do you think? Do you think I'm on to something? Do you disagree? If so, I'd love to know why. 
So I know that I am very much simplifying here, but that's really like my nuts and bolts theory. If you agree with me and you aren't really sure how to go about actually doing that, teaching those skills, this is something that we cover in Parentability. Monica says, love this topic. Mazen asked why the cashier is darker than his dad, and this was our first experience ever hearing him say something like this. We have a super multicultural... Ah, why is my mouth not going around that word today? Multicultural family. So this is really important to us. I know. It's... I know myself, The f- and I mean, I've always... I've never hidden differences from my son. When we lived in Edmonton, most of my son's friends had some kind of developmental disability or developmental difference in some way. I remember when we moved here, he really noticed very quickly that most of the kids didn't speak sign language, whereas in Edmonton, the group of kids that we hung out with frequently mostly did. So I felt like I had it on lock, I guess, with the ability stuff, but it kind of took me out of left field when he started noticing race and asking questions about it. And I was kind of like, oh, oh, okay, okay, we're going to talk about that now, right? Like, it just, it shocked me a little bit, and I don't know why, I guess because I didn't think I was hiding it, but I think as a millennial, I was just kind of not talking about it. So it's really hard for us. It's really, really hard for us because we were taught not to pay attention to it. We were told it didn't exist. Holly says, basically, it's like we're told not to celebrate our differences. That is exactly what we were told not to do. We were told to just look at the muscle and bone underneath and don't worry about the wrapper. Brianna says, books can be really helpful to introduce diversity if it's lacking in your environment. Yes, absolutely. We have had to very consciously do that because where we live right now, and we don't get to choose where we live because my husband's in the military, so where we live right now, I can probably count on one hand how many times we've encountered somebody who isn't white. It's is just very lily up in here. Um, so that's been something that I am constantly keeping my eye on is, am I introducing him to characters who represent diversity if I can't have it in his environment as much as I would like to? And, you know, we do take him to the city and... <laughs> try and interact with people who aren't exactly looking like us. So it can be, it's something that I think, again, as millennials, we not forget about, but that we don't, we aren't paying as much attention to as we probably ought to, because again, we were told it didn't exist. It didn't exist. We're all the same. Adeline says, do you have any suggestions for conversations to have before, during, or after encounters with people that look different from our family? Thinking about the time my three-year-old screamed up, the cashier was missing a tooth. (laughs) Kids, I think the nice thing about little kids is that most people are very forgiving because they're little. And most people recognize that three-year-olds have no filter. For the most part, I abide by the rule of we don't talk about people like they're not there. And some people agree with me on that, some people don't, but having spent a lot of time with children who were very visibly different ability-wise, it was always very hurtful when somebody was talking about the child that I was with like they weren't in the room or like they were deaf or like they, you know, they didn't exist, like they were a theory. (laughs) 
So that's my basic rule is we don't talk about people like they're not there. So generally when my child does something like that, and he's done it many times, I generally say, I don't know. If you have a question, you can respectfully ask them. And generally I'll give him like a little script so that he's not like, why are you like that? (laughs) Right? Like I try and word it in a way that's open and respectful. And then I direct him. And I do, I say that out loud. We don't talk about people like they're not there. And usually people recognize that that way, when I say that, my child, I'm trying to direct my child to the source rather than answering for them. And most people really appreciate that. Um, Not all. But we can only do, like, everybody's got their own baggage. Everybody's got their own way that they would prefer these conversations to be handled. And some people are not going to appreciate how you're handling it. You just got to do your best, right? Try and be respectful of everybody. It's almost impossible not to offend someone, but we try and do our best. So I just try and direct my child to the actual person. And if they can't really say what I told them to say, I'll generally say, do you mind if my child asks you a question? And if they, if they do, (laughs) They will often very emphatically let you know, in which case you just back off real quick. Don't try not to open those conversations when you're stuck somewhere, like in a grocery checkout, though. Like, try and get through the grocery checkout before you have the conversation, because if they react poorly, then you can leave. Um, okay. Is this... Okay, is that all y'all have to say about it? Okay. Awesome! Okay. So once again, don't forget to sign up for 14 Days of Foundations notifications. They're up there. And that is it for me this evening. Thank you for joining me. I hope I gave you something to think about, maybe a new perspective on this. Um, And I will see you next week for another Uncommon Sense Parenting class. Bye. You've been listening to The Mudroom, Uncommon Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson. If you like what you just heard, remember to join us every Tuesday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific on Facebook. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, share, and connect with us on social. This has been an Alana Robinson Family Services production.